Okay, here we go. This is Amos chapter 1, verse 3. Like I said, we got a couple verses, so hang in there. Chances are I'm going to mispronounce a name or two, but don't make fun of me. Here we go. Amos chapter 1, verse 3. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Damascus for three crimes, even four, because they threshed Gilead with iron sledges. Therefore, I will send fire against Hazel's palace, and it will consume Ben-Hadad's citadels. I'll break down the gates of Damascus. I'll cut off the ruler from the valley of Avon, and the one who wields the scepter of beth Aden, the people of Aram, will be exiled to Ker. The Lord has spoken. Verse 6. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Gaza for three crimes, even four, because they exiled a whole community, handing them over to Edom. Therefore, I will send fire against the walls of Gaza, and it will consume the citadels. I'll cut off the ruler from Ashdod and the one who wields the scepter from Ashkelon. I will turn my hand against Ekron and, and the remainder of the Philistines will perish. The Lord has spoken. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Tyre for three crimes, even four, because they handed over a whole community of exiles to Edom. They broke a treaty of brotherhood. Therefore, I will send fire against the walls of Tyre and it will consume its citadels. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Edom for three crimes, even four, because he pursued his brother with the sword. He stifled his compassion. His anger, anger tore at him continually, and he harbored his rage incessantly. Therefore, I will send fire against Temin, and it will consume the citadels of Basra. The Lord says, I will not relent from punishing the Ammonites for three crimes, even four, because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their territory. Therefore, I'll set fires to the walls of Rabbah, and it will consume the citadels. There will be shouting on the day of battle and a violent wind on the day of the storm. Their king and his princes will go into exile together. The Lord has spoken. Chapter 2. I will not relent from punishing Moab for three crimes, even four, because he burned the bones of the king of Edom to lime. Therefore, I will send fire against Moab, and it will consume the citadels of Kerioth. Moab will die with a tumult while shouting and the sound of the ram's horn. I will cut off the judge from the land, kill all of its officials with him. The Lord has spoken. And finally, the Lord says, I will not relent from punishing Judah for three crimes, even four, because they've rejected the instruction of the Lord. They've not kept his statutes. The lies that their ancestors followed have led them astray. Therefore, I will send fire against Judah, and it will consume the citadels of Jerusalem. Let me pray. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for this opportunity that we get to just dive into your word and uh, see what it is that, that you want us to know, God. And it's easy to look at these Old Testament passages and, and think that it doesn't apply to us, but my hope today, Lord, is that we can see that this is very, very applicable to us today. We love you, God. I pray that you give me the words to say and that everybody in here can take your scripture and, and live their lives by it. We love you, God. We thank you and praise in your name. Amen. You may take your seats. I told you that was a long passage of scripture. And if, you, uh, if you're reading through that and you don't feel a little uncomfortable, God appears to be uh, somewhat upset in this passage, doesn't he? There's a lot of, a lot of uh, bad things are going to happen if people don't change their ways. Now, let me say this. Um, we're, we're doing our series right now on the book of Amos, and the series is called Mirror Image. In fact, do we have that image on the screen back there? That's okay. All right, um, it's called Mirror Image. And the, the series is based on the, uh, pretty much based on the idea that when I was reading through the book of Amos, I was noticing that there was a lot of similarities between uh, Judah and Israel in the time of Amos and the United States today. When Amos was going and delivering this message to Israel, it, it amazed me the sins that Israel was struck. Kendall, you're on top of it. Great job. 
Uh, it, it amazed me that the sins that Israel was struggling with are the sins that we ourselves still struggle with today. In fact, I brought up the, the, the quote that, you know, if, if you don't know history, you're doomed to repeat it. You've heard this quote before, right? That's why it's good to learn history. It's good to see what has happened before us so that we don't fall into those same traps. Now, I want to see who's paying attention, okay? So last week, obviously, we were all in the main service, but uh, the week before we did our introduction on the book of Amos here, I want to see who's paying attention, okay? So somebody tell me anything about Amos. What, what did we learn about Amos? We don't know much about him, but there was a couple things that we learned. Anybody? And don't say his name starts with an A. That doesn't count, okay? But uh, <laughs> what else? Somebody tell me something about Amos. Do you guys remember? What's that? Who said that? His name is Amos. Yes, great. We're off to a good start, all right? What, what was he? What, was his, uh, what did God use him as? Do you guys remember? A what? A prophet. Yeah, he was a prophet, okay? Now, if you remember, uh, when we were reading through, you can actually relook. It's, uh, it's verse 1 to, to 2. La- the two weeks ago, we only focused on those two verses there. But the idea is that Amos was just, he was a shepherd farmer, you know? He also did, uh, he tended to sycamore fig trees. So he wasn't this mighty warrior. He wasn't this mighty communicator, Yet, God still used him to do some pretty amazing things. Um, when we talked about Israel, did you write this, Ginter? Where's Ginter at? Did you write that? Everybody, have a great day, everyone. I said it backwards, I'm sorry. Have a great day, everyone. That's very nice. Um, if you guys remember, we talked about how Israel was this, uh, this nation, right? And I, and I know Israel is not a circle, but let's just say for the sake it is. Back when this was happening, um, it said that uh, it was during the time of Jeroboam and Uzziah were the two kings. You're asking yourself, well, why does Israel need two kings? Well, this was a time of disunity, right? We talked about that, where the northern tribes of Israel, we, they split up, and they ended up keeping the name Israel, okay? And then the southern tribes took the name Judah. So what was once this united kingdom is now Israel and Judah. Does anybody remember where Amos was from? Was it Israel or Judah? Oliver. Correct. He was from Judah. In fact, it said that he lived, uh, I think, about 10 miles away from the border, when God gave, Jude, when God gave um, Amos the word to speak, was he to speak to Judah or to Israel? To Israel, exactly. Now, now think about this. We talked about how this is a little awkward because uh, I, the illustration I gave was Kerry Buck. You guys know Kerry Buck? He's our worship pastor, okay? He, he is, uh, we always banter with each other. It's good fun, right? We're good friends. But, but Kerry is from Westerville, Okay. And I'm from Sunbury. Remember I talked about this, where, where Carrie is an uptight Westerville snob, and I am a deep south redneck Sunburyan, I guess, right? At least this is what he thinks of me. He says, he always jokes about, I got to get a tetanus shot if I go into Sunbury because it's so, I, I don't know. And so I take this offensively, and I go, well, you're a rich snob. And he goes, well, you're a redneck. And so we go back and forth, right? And guys, that, that little argument is pretty similar to what these guys are doing. Israel, they thought they were better than Judah. Judah thought that Israel was uptight and stuff. And there was this real disunity between these. So imagine that God calls you, and he says, hey, I've got a message that I want you to give. And Amos is like, oh, okay, sweet. I'll speak to my fellow Judanians. And he goes, no, 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 it's, uh, it's actually to, your, uh, to Israel. And Amos is like, oh, come on. Like, I got to go speak to Israel, right? So the, you got to think this wasn't, it wasn't like the best uh, situation for him, okay? And on top of that, if you remember, we talked about when, when a prophet would show up to your town. Typically, I don't think if you see a prophet coming, you go, oh, sweet, a prophet's coming to town. You probably would say, oh, no, what have we done, right? Prophets, prophets a lot of times would come and they would say, here's what God said. You've done this wrong, you've done this wrong, you've done this wrong change your ways or God is going to destroy your town, you know? And so if you saw a prophet coming, they were probably like, oh, come on, what did we do this time, you know? 
And this is exactly the message that Amos had for Israel. It was not a good message. It was not, it was not a message of hope. It was more a message of wrath. And so let me ask you this. I, I thought about this before. I'm not going to do this because I think it would be a mistake on my part. But if I was to ask you to describe me, okay, which, which I'm not going to do because I'm afraid what some of you guys will say, but there's a couple things that you can use to describe me. First off, I'm a pastor, right? Okay, that's one thing. Um, uh, I'm extremely muscular, obviously, all right? Nobody's believing that one, all right? Um, I'm a father, right? I have four kids. I'm a husband. I have an awesome wife. Um, there's a lot of things. I'm a Buckeye fan. You know, I'm a Christian, which I, I actually I should just put that one right up there, all right, because that's kind of important. But there's a lot of things to describe me. I'll call on you just a little bit, okay? Um, there's a lot of things to describe me. And the thing is, a lot of you guys know me as a pastor, right? Nobody in here knows me as a father, at least not like my kids do, because I'm only a father to my kids, right? Uh, nobody in the world knows me as a husband like my wife does, right? Because she's my wife, right? Um, you guys know me as a Buckeye fan. I'm pretty open about that. Hopefully you realize that I'm a Christian. If I haven't projected that, then I'm not doing a good job, but, but I am, right? But these are all things that describe me, and depending on the situation and the context that you're in, uh, you, you would see me as one of these things or two of these things, but, but you know, this is the full picture of me, right? There's many things that make up who I am. And, and you can do this with all of you guys, right? I, I forgot, I'm a brother as well, right? I have two sisters. And, and, and the thing is, what, what we're going to talk about in this passage today is we, we typically only tend to see a certain part of God, right? Let me ask you guys this. Somebody throw out some words and describe God for me, okay? Give me a couple. Amos. Did you say fake? Oh, big. Oh, man. Good. That would have been awkward. <laughs> All right. Big. Yes, exactly. Think about this. God created the universe, right? And the universe is big, yet he created it. How big is God, right? Uh, Am or, pff, Amos. Uh, what's your name? Oliver. Tell me, Oliver. What? Uh, what? Yeah, great answer, Oliver. Everlasting. Ev I know. I know. I'm sorry. Hey, maybe that was, that's a prophecy for your life. I don't know. Maybe God's going to call you to big things, Oliver. Okay. What else? Tell me something. Powerful. Yes, I like these. Give me some more. Loving. Who said that? Loving. Great answer. Loving. Okay, give me two more. We've got, God is indescribable, right? Yes. God, God is godlike. Uh, hey, I'm going to write it down. I think it's a good one. All right. God is godlike. I don't hear it. I'm going to erase like. Here we go. God is God. How about that? Yeah, he's not like God. He is God, all right? Give me one more. Which one? Merciful. Great answer. Merciful. Now, I knew, I knew that when we did this exercise here that there's a couple things that obviously we could spend all day. I could write on this whole board different words that describe God, right? We can, we, he's, he's, you can't fully describe God. However, did I misspell a word? Oh, yeah, yeah. My writing typically kind of drags off at the end, okay? But we could spend all day talking about who God is and what he looks like. But you know what's funny is a lot of guides, a lot of, like, words that, that describe God that's not up here is God is a God of wrath. Like, you realize this, right? He's, he's a God of wrath. You know, God is also a God of judgment. He's also a God, and listen, I say, I, I say this, but he's a God of anger, okay? He gets angry. You know God is a jealous God, you know? These are, these are attributes about God that people, we don't typically talk about in church especially because we love to focus on he's compassionate, he's good. And here's the thing, is God compassionate? Absolutely he is. But what we're going to talk about today is we have to see the full picture of God because guys, God is a God of wrath. This passage that I just read, does God sound happy in this passage? 
No, 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 no. He's like, he's like, you've, you've disobeyed me many, many times. I will not, I, this is a truly terrifying thing that he says here. Listen to this. I will not relent from punishing blank. And then it's all those. I will not relent. I will not give up punishing them. I mean, guys, you don't want God to be on your bad side, okay? Or you don't want to be on God's bad side, right? You, you want to, but he's a God of wrath. So what we're going to do, my main point for today, and you can write this down if you want to, but the main point for today is simply this. It's that we need to see God for who he is. See God for who he is. If you want to write that down, I would encourage it. See God for who he is. Because a lot of times we only see a little bit of God and we need to see the full picture. So what I'm going to do is I've got three points here that hopefully will cast a good picture of who God is just in, a, you know, a couple things. Obviously, he's indescribable. We can't fully describe him. But I got three things based on this passage. When I was reading through Amos, I remember when this portion of scripture came up and I was like, man, how do you preach on this? Like it, all it is is destruction. It's, it's all this stuff. But there really is a lot in here. So what I'm going to do is um, let, let's go ahead and start with point number one, okay? And this is God cares about how we, if you want to fill this in on your notes, treat people, okay? God cares about how we treat people. I want to start with this one because God is pretty specific about what he's punishing these people for, okay? And what I did, we're not going to read through all of them again. I would encourage you, I can't, because of our time limit, I can't go into great detail as to everything that these people did wrong. But if you get a chance, go home and look up some of the, you can type it into Google, search them, but, but look up Amos chapter 1, the sins committed by these different people, and they did some pretty terrible things. Let me, let me give you a couple of them, okay? Damascus, right? This was the first one that God mentioned. He says, I will not relent from punishing Damascus. Uh, their sin was that they treated people as if they had no worth. What they would do essentially is they were, in this, uh, they were in this battle with Israel, and what they would do is they would capture Israelite soldiers, and they would treat them horribly. Like they would torture them, they would just beat them and stuff. And, and God did not like this, okay? He says, you know, you're, you're treating, they, you treat this person as if they're just a dog, right? That they have no value, that they have no worth. All right, let's look at the next one. Gaza, right? These people treated people differently um, than, than Damascus. Theirs was a little different. It wasn't that people didn't have any worth. They treated people horribly because they felt they did have worth because what they did, their sin was that they would capture entire towns and villages for the sole purpose of turning a profit. They'd sell them into slavery, okay? I mean, that's a terrible, terrible thing, right? So again, they don't see people as worthless, but they don't see people as valuable, or in God's eyes, they seem as valuable in terms of profit. Let's look at the next one, Edom, ready? Uh, this one was unrestrained hatred and spite toward a brother. Uh, multiple times in scripture, the Bible refers to Edom as the brothers of Israel. And what, what you see is that these guys, um, they actually ended up fighting a lot. And um, Amos described them um, as these people, they just, they were cruel, they were brutal. Um, what they would do is they would not only execute the men who defended themselves, but they would also uh, kill defenseless women. Uh, I, I read a quote here, it says, what happened to them is similar to the masses who were killed by the Nazis, uh, many of whom were elderly and women and children. So, so they, they, again, they had no value for others. They would, they would kill older women, older men, they would kill women, defenseless children. All right, Ammon, this is another one, the Ammonites, ready? Their sin was ambition and uncontrolled violence against the helpless. This is, this is the one that really got me. Listen to this. Um, Amos condemns the Ammonites for an incident where their ambition to increase their borders into Gilead led to the most heinous acts of brutality. 
what they would do is they would rip open the bellies of pregnant women, okay? And if you read that in here, it says that, that they ripped open the, the bellies of the pregnant women. Essentially, what these guys were doing is they wanted to expand their borders. They wanted to grow uh, their nation. And what they would do is they would, they would take these villages and people, and they would kill the pregnant women. They would cut open their bellies, literally, and kill the babies. Does anybody have any idea why they would do that? What do you think? Yeah, exactly. She says, so that their son doesn't take the power eventually. Yeah, it's kind of hard to raise an army when somebody's killing all your kids who are going to grow up into your army, right? So they were killing these women. I mean, they were killing babies. It was awful, awful stuff. Um, let me see. Uh, and then the, uh, the second to last one here is Moab, ready? And th their sin was they showed contempt for others. And you can, again, you can look into that a little bit more. But what we see here is we see six different nations that God uh, really condemned because of how they treated others. Now, if you've ever been in youth ministry before, Genoa students, often I will say, like, um, the whole Bible can be summed up in these, these four words right here. It's love God, love others. Love God, love others. That is, if you look at the Ten Commandments, that sums up the Ten Commandments. If you look at everything that Jesus preached, that's everything that Jesus preached. Love God and love others. And what happened was, um, obviously, these other nations, they didn't follow God, so obviously they got that part wrong. But they also didn't love others. They did not treat others correctly. So I want to encourage you guys, be careful how you treat others. Be careful how you treat others. Clearly, God is concerned about how we treat others. Wouldn't you agree with that based on this? So much so that he was so upset about it. Ready? So uh, again, number one, that point number one is God cares about how we treat people. So when we're talking about how do we see God, how do we look at God, he is a compassionate God. All right? We don't want to overlook that. He is compassionate. He loves his people. And when you treat his people poorly, he's not very happy about it. Okay, here we go. Uh, point number two, God doesn't, ooh, I think we left out a blank here. Hold on, God doesn't, no, you're right, you're right, you're a good job. <laughs> I love that look she gave me. She was like, oh, oh, I know I'm right. Okay, here it is, ready? God doesn't punish undeserving, deserving people, okay? Another person said last night, innocent people. You could say that. God doesn't, punish innocent people. He doesn't punish undeserving people. Now, this is why this is an important point, is because it's easy to look at all these nations that surround Israel. All those, those six nations that I mentioned earlier, if Israel was right here, right here, all these nations surrounded Israel, okay? And here's the thing, they all hated Israel. They hated Israel. And think about that. Remember, our series is called Mirror Image. We're talking about, you know, things looked similar back then to what they do now. Does this look similar to today? Absolutely it does. Have you ever looked at a map and seen Israel and just how they are completely surrounded by people who hate them? There, there's videos, which I would encourage you to go check out. There's videos on YouTube of, of people with their cell phones looking up as missiles are coming into Israel from, from the nation surrounding them. And they have this awesome weapon called the Iron Dome that will shoot down missiles that are coming into Israel. I mean, it is, it is fascinating if you ever get a chance to watch it. So people are sitting out there, they're like, oh, we're getting bombed again. And then their missiles, and then, I mean, they're seeing explosions in the sky. And it is nuts. Everybody who lives around them hates Israel. Things have not changed. This is exactly how it was for them back then. These nations did not like Israel. But here's the thing. All of these nations around them, even though they didn't know God, were they innocent? No. Did they deserve to be punished? Absolutely they did. If you sin, you deserve hell. You realize that, right? If you sin one time, you deserve hell. 
This is not a, this is not a, a thing that we preach too often in churches because it sounds pretty judgmental and it sounds pretty sad, but, but that is the reality of it. If you don't know Jesus Christ, that means that you have sin in your life and you deserve hell. Nobody can stand before God and say, God, I did this, this, and this. I had, a really, I had some really good times. And God will say, well, did you mess up at least once? And you say, well, yeah. And he's like, okay, you deserve the penalty then. I mean, this is the reality of it. Now, obviously, Jesus paid that penalty for us so that we don't have to serve that, that punishment. But I want you guys to remember, God doesn't punish undeserving people, okay? These people did terrible, terrible things. And, and, and I'm not just saying people outside of Israel. Just wait. We're going to get to Judah and Israel here in just a minute, okay? But remember this. God doesn't punish undeserving people, okay? So a, a way that you can, so how would you see God in this? Point number one, you'd see him as compassionate. Point number two is you can see him as just, as just. Just means that he, he gives people, uh, he, he, you know, judges people based on what they do, right? Whether it was good or whether it was bad. But God is a just God, okay? He is a just God. So let's do this last one and then we'll finish up, okay? Point number three. This is my favorite point, ready? God is very, anybody have any idea what this word would be? Patient, yeah, look at that. Look at that Cincinnati education. All right. Okay, God is very patient with us. He's very patient with us. I love in this passage here, over and over again, it says, I will not relent from punishing blank for three crimes, even four, okay? He's saying that, you know, over and over again, I've given them many, many chances, yet they still continue to disobey me. Now, this is a bait and switch here, I think. Um, I read a lot of commentaries on this where a lot of people think that, um, that it's significant that Amos was saying for three crimes, even four. Uh, the number seven is very significant in the Bible. It typically means completion. When you see the number seven, it means uh, that, that God is completing something. And, um, and they think that, you know, it doesn't literally mean that they only sinned three or four times. Clearly, they sinned many, many more times. But the idea for a lot of uh, scholars who read this, they say that you did it for three crimes, for four, that adds up to seven, and then God has come to a completion on how many times he's going to let you turn his back on him. And, and the thing is, God is so patient with us. Don't you guys agree with this? When we talk about, listen to this, this is a bait and switch, I think, because um, they mention six nations, okay, Damascus, Gaza, Tyre, all these. And then, they, and then he mentions Judah. So imagine that you're from Israel, right? And you're listening to Amos. Amos is up there and he's like, okay, listen, uh, God is going to judge Damascus. And Israel's like, sweet, we hate them. This will be awesome. And he goes, okay, he's also going to judge and punish Gaza. And they go, oh, this just gets better. Wow, this is awesome. He's going he's gonna to do Tyre, Edom, um, uh, the Ammonites, Moab. And you know what? Not only them, but he's also going to judge Judah, where I'm from, Amos, right? He's like, they're gonna, he's going to judge Judah. Because listen, what did Judah do? Um, their crime was that they, uh, let me pull this up. Their crime was that they were unfaithful to God and his word. They knew better, right? They knew better. Anybody here the oldest child? Okay, cool. Were you treated differently than your younger siblings? Yeah, I was. Okay, I have two, two younger sisters. And I was the oldest child, and my, my dad, I, I had this exact conversation with my kid today. I, I said to myself, I was like, I'm becoming my father, all right? Which he's a good dad, so it's good. But, but I had this conversation with my kid that my dad had with me all the time was, I would mess up, and he would look at me, and he would say, you're in trouble. And I said, why am I in trouble? They're doing the same thing. And he goes, you should know better, right? You're the oldest one. You should know better. I had this conversation with my daughter today. I said, I said you're, you're throwing a temper tantrum. You're not going to get to come with me and eat a donut. And she goes, what, what, Jack threw a temper tantrum? And I said, Jack is five. You're eight. Okay, I was like, 
it's different, right? And in the same way, these nations, they didn't have the law, but Judah had the law. Judah knew God's word. They, God was very, very specific with them about what they should and shouldn't do, yet they still turned their back on him. Who does that sound like? Let's talk mirror image for a minute. Who does that sound like? Us, doesn't it? The United States. The United States. Guys, we have more Bible. Look at this. Look at this. Everybody look back at that little uh, shelf back there. We've got Bible, extra Bibles just sitting back there. There are places in the world that they, they like, don't have any Bibles. Like the Christians, they're like, please bring us Bibles. We need them. Yeah, we've got tons of Bibles sitting over there. Chances are everybody has a Bible on their phone, all right? Or you can access it really quickly. We have complete access to God's revelation to us, yet we still turn our back on them, don't we? I'm talking as a, as a country. So the reason I'm calling this a bait and switch is that God, or Amos sets it up. He says, these guys, these guys, these guys, and then Judah. And check it out. That's seven nations if you include Judah. And I'm wondering in, in Israel's mind if they were just like, ooh, oh, he mentioned seven nations. That's the completion of his judgment. Ooh, man, we're good. And then next week we're going to talk about verse 6 where he says, oh, by the way, uh, he will not relent from punishing you guys as well, Israel. And imagine that you're Israel. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You already said seven nations. <laughs> what are you talking about? And he goes, oh, no, it's coming, right? So we'll talk about that next week. But I think it was, it was a bait and switch. And, and, and guys, the reason, the reason I'm even bringing this up is that God time and time again showed how patient he was. Aren't you glad that God is patient with us? Aren't you? There's a guy who works here named Phil Kinley. Anybody know Phil? You know Phil. Phil's the man. I love Phil. I call him Philly Phil from Pittsburgh. It's a joke. He's not from Pittsburgh, but anyway. So Phil is our financial guy. He does all of the, the, uh, the money and all this stuff. But Phil owns banks. Like, it's funny. I was riding in a car with him one day, and I said, what you got going on today? He goes, I'm thinking about buying another bank. I was like, we, we, we live completely different lives, right? Um, but, but Phil, uh, he owns these banks. He was talking about this time when he was at the bank, and this girl had come in. He had asked this lady to come into his office, and the HR rep was with him. And he says, he says, young lady, do you know why you're here? And she says, I think so. And he goes, okay, I'm giving you an official write-up. You, you've been late to work. You backtalk your superiors. You, you're doing all these terrible things. I'm going to give you an official warning. And then if you mess up again, you're fired. And so he's getting, he, he's getting the pen out to give her to sign this, this uh, piece of paper, this official warning. And as she, she's reaching for the pen, and she just goes, ugh, like rolls her eyes. And, and Phil told me that he took this pen, and he, he, he just goes, ugh, and he looks at the wall, and he throws the pen at the wall, and it shatters everywhere. And this girl's like, what? And he goes, you get out of my office. You're fired. Get out of here. And so she gets up, and she, she was like, oh, my goodness. And she walks up, and he told me that she looked terrified. The HR rep was just like, what is happening? Now, if you know people who lose their minds like that on a regular basis, that's not that crazy. What makes the story crazy is that if you know who Phil is, that's a crazy story because Phil is probably the quietest guy I know, all right? We joke that Phil only has like 100 words a day that he can use, so he doesn't use extra words. Like I'll be like, you having a good day? And he's like, mm. And he'll nod his, he won't say yes. He'll just be like, mm-hmm, like that. And I'm like, okay, saving your words there, Phil. I like it. But he's the most patient guy. He's the most quiet guy. Have you ever heard the statement, be scared of patient people, you know, beware the patient person. Because if a patient person gets mad, something bad has happened, right? If, if something has happened that has made this patient, patient person, like, lose their mind, you've done something terrible. And guys, think about this. God is so patient with us. And just to kind of get an idea of how patient he is with us, who in here has sinned today? Anybody sinned today? I have. I'll be honest with you, okay? 
We all have sinned, right? And chances are you're going to sin again sometime today, unless you're Jenny Hoover, all right? All right, she doesn't sin. But, but there is a chance that all of us are going to sin multiple times. And every time we sin and God doesn't send lightning down to destroy us, that's God being patient with us and showing his mercy on us. Anytime non-Christians who just continue to sin and sin and sin that aren't judged, that's God being patient with them. Thank God we serve a patient God. I am so grateful that God is so patient with me. That when I can go to God and I can say, God, I've sinned again. I'm so sorry. And he will forgive us every time. So all that to say, guys, have an accurate view of God, okay? Just realize that when you sin, you're, you're essentially slapping God in the face. Like you're, you're turning your back on God. And God is so patient with us. Once you become a Christian as well, you know, we're not guilty to go to hell anymore because we've been covered by the blood. But, but still, I mean, you, you still sin. And so I want to encourage you guys, you know, just... Thank God every day for how patient he is with us. And, and that should cause you to want to repent. It should cause you to, when you sin, when you mess up, that you should say, you know what, God, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. The problem with Judah back in this day is that they didn't do that. They knew better, yet they turned their back on him. And guys, that sounds a lot like our country nowadays, doesn't it? A lot of Christians, man. A lot of Christians know God's word, yet we continue to turn our back on him. So I want to encourage you guys, live like Jesus, okay? If you sin, ask forgiveness. How do you treat people? How do you treat people? Do you treat people with the love of Christ? Love God, love others. Okay, let me pray for you guys and then we'll dismiss. God, thank you so much for this day. Thank you for everybody that's here. And God, you know, this is a passage that talks all about your judgment. It talks all about how you um, really shows your patience because you could have destroyed all of these nations so many, on so many occasions before. But because of your patience, because of your mercy, God, you, you know, I, I look at myself, God, and I just, I think, I'm, I'm so thankful for your mercy because I do stuff every day, Lord, that, that gives you every reason to, to just judge me. But, but, Lord, because of Jesus Christ, because of how much you loved us, you sent a son to die in our place so that we can be forgiven of sins, past, present, and future. God, I pray that we can, we can be a church that doesn't live like Judah did, where we know what the Bible says, yet we, we ignore it and we, we go our own ways. I pray that we are not a mirror image of what Judah was back then. I pray that we can be a mirror image of the early church in the book of Acts. That we can be a body of believers that cares and loves you so much, God, that people can come to know you because of the example that we set, Lord. God, be with everybody as we go back to school and just help us to live lives for you. We love you, God, and we thank you. And we praise in your name. Amen.